Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. Today, you're going to talk with, well, you're going to talk with me. It's a solo podcast again. These have actually been pretty popular over the last couple of weeks, getting a lot of questions just for me. So instead of uh, Coach Harvey Hyde or Dan Weber, I'll just do one myself and do my best to answer all of your questions. So thanks for sending all those in. Uh, so many to get to, so we're going to get to all those today. Just want to let you know if you have questions for the podcast, please let us know who the question's for because we have different shows uh, on different days. But Email us podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can leave us a voicemail a couple different ways, 641-715-3900, extension 816-646, or you can go to our website, peristylepodcast.com, click on the left side of the page, and you can leave a voicemail from your computer, from your phone, your iPad, there's different ways to do that, Uh, and also go to itunes.com slash peristylepodcast, that's the best way to consume the show. Most of the different podcasts, podcast apps use iTunes. If you go to iTunes, leave us a five-star ranking. That would be wonderful. We're on Stitcher as well and a lot of other different platforms. So different ways to check out the show. Our website is peristylepodcast.com. I am the publisher, if you don't know, of uscfootball.com. So that's where you can get all the information. Go to the Peristyle if you want to. If you have those long rants, those questions that you like to send, and they're like 10 paragraphs long, three pages in email, Go to our website. Go to Paris, go to uscfootball.com. Go to the different uh, message boards there. You can post your entire rant there, and we can respond to it there. It's just hard to read all of them now. So try to keep the questions uh, short and concise, and I'll do my best to read them and play them and discuss them. And that's what we're going to do today. So hmm, let's go. I think we're going to do a voicemail question to start off. We had a couple of those and, uh, and a whole bunch of email questions, but I'm going to start with a voicemail. Here you go. Hi, this is Jesse from West Covina, and I'm calling about the offensive line. I think that uh, it's been a disappointment uh, thinking that this year they were going to be really polished and be a stronger uh, unit. You know, I know they have uh, this is the third center and some other hurt fellows during the during the season, but still, I think it's been a disappointment. And secondly. And even a bigger disappointment is the defensive backfield um, and how they allow their opposition to just uh, get get passes all the time connected. Um, and they don't turn around to try to block the pass or, uh, or even intercept. A lot of them have been close if they can intercept. So those are my thoughts. Uh, great, uh, great program. All right. Well, thanks for sending in your question, and I will address the two points. One on the offensive line. No, I do. I believe there's a concern there. Um, they've actually, you know, but this group has, I think it was four different offensive line coaches in the last four years or five. I mean, there's been a basically a new offensive line coach every year. One year with Lane Kiffin, there was two offensive line coaches. I didn't agree with that decision. Obviously, there was all kinds of crazy stuff going on there. They bring in Bob Connolly, who hasn't been in a lot of places. Um, I mean, seems like a nice guy. You know, seems like he knows what he's talking about. I'm not going to pretend to be some expert watching the nuances of the offensive line. I actually sat or stood next to a former USC offensive lineman that was checking out practice today, and he was kind of giving me a few of his thoughts. I don't want to, you know, say everything he said, but um, I mean, there, he definitely had some concerns technique-wise. He's actually a coach now uh, at the college level, and um, you know, he had some concerns there too uh, of what he was seeing. And I, it's to me, it's really about consistency. They haven't been all that consistent. I think there's so many negative plays where guys just seem to get blown up, and they're pulling. Like, I, I think they're doing some things that's that aren't really suited to the talents that you mentioned. Um, well, you didn't mention like Damian Mama would be a guy that uh, you know, big, strong guy. They have them pulling a lot. They're, they're they're pulling their guards a lot. It's not necessarily, I guess, their strength, especially down in the short yarded situations where they're pulling and there just seem to be so many plays on the wrong side of the line of scrimmage. And when you're pulling, you're kind of bringing a guy back. So I, I to me, I don't know. There's just, it, there's, there's some times when it's good and there's some other times when it's not. I felt in the first half of the Colorado game, they were trying to run wide a lot 
and they're kind of these slow developing plays and Colorado brought up extra defenders and USC didn't do a very good job of picking them up and they're having a hard time running the football. I think they're better point of attack, quick hit, you know, explode off the ball and just use, you know, your, your power and speed straight ahead. And they seem to do better uh, with that. But you're, I mean, I, there's concerns there. You're right. And I think it's inconsistent. Like, I, I don't think they're incapable. I think there's a very talented line. They're capable of playing a lot better than they are. Um, and they do at times, and other times they don't. So, um, yeah, it's, I mean, I, I share your concern. I mean, well, you know, I, I understand your concerns. Uh, as far as the defensive backfield goes, you know, I talked to uh, Keith Hayward, the secondary coach, and, you know, he likes the position a lot of these guys are in. And I, I, I think Adore Jackson, and we talked about this with Dan Weber on the Tuesday show, I think he's getting some unfair criticism. Uh, if you know, Shotgun did a post on uscfootball.com sharing all the different you know uh, top receivers that USC's played, and for the vast majority of them, they've been held under their their normal average. So they've been doing a good job, and he's usually locked up on that number one receiver. Now, I think the last couple of weeks you've seen USC kind of focus on trying to stop the run, but unfortunately, I think that's left some of the secondary a little bit exposed too. Um, and it's not necessarily, it's not always the secondary, um, but just the pass defense in general, uh, it hasn't been as sharp. They're doing a really good job stopping the run, but they're giving up a lot of pass plays to guys, to quarterbacks. The last couple of weeks, they, the quarterbacks they played, uh, Sefa Lufau and, and Anu Solomon were benched the weeks before that USC played them. And then they played really well when they played against USC. So I think I, I can understand your concerns there as well. Um, certainly there's some, some issues, but the USC de- defensive, uh, scheme, I guess, has, has worked better, I think, recently under Helton. I think they've been more aggressive. Um, and, you know, they're statistically a uh, higher ranked defense now. I think third in the conference in total defense. So it's, it seems to be getting better. Um, the run game for Oregon is going to be a huge challenge for this defense because I don't think you're going to see the same kind of, stop the run success that USC's had up until this point. It's just, I think it's Oregon's a different beast. Um, but if USC can stop the run against Oregon and really limit the run, you want them to throw more than they run. They only threw 12 times against Stanford. Uh, Vernon Adams didn't throw a first quarter pass against Stanford. So once they're, do- if they don't have to throw the football and they're just running all over you, you're in trouble. They're picking up sec, they get, you know, big yardage on first down and second and two. That's right in this offense's wheelhouse so usc's got to force some negative plays can't let them just you know be back on your heels and let them run for six seven eight yards on first down it's just going to be it'll be a long afternoon for usc if that happens so all right well thanks for sending that question let's go to some email ones Tarek says you called sark a decent head coach at at washington he hadn't won a game the year before a reach higher i'm sorry okay you you called Sark, and they put comma, a decent head coach at Washington that hadn't won a game the year before, comma, a reach hire. Okay, so I see what you're saying there, Tark. Sorry, I wasn't reading that quite right. Said, I agree he was, but why wouldn't Clay Helton also be a reach when he has even less experience? Um, for Sark, I thought it was a reach hire. Five years there. Um, the main reason he was brought to USC is because he was uh, assistant under Pete Carroll. He did some nice things at Washington. He didn't do what USC needed, which is be a proven winner and win at the highest level and win the conference championship um, and win 10 games. He didn't do that kind of stuff. Now, can it translate to go take an 0-12 team to a bowl team? I mean, it could, but but he hadn't done that. Um, I think, you know, it certainly could be a reach for to hire Clay Helton. I mean, I can, I can see your point on that. But if they hire him, he likely came in and won the Pac-12 South. He won, he won out and won the Pac-12 South. Um, so he's done more in his, as an interim than Steve Sarkeesian did at Washington or at USC. So I think there's a resume there. It's not a fair, uh, comparison. It's not a fair, um, I, I guess the standard you're going to hold Clay Helton to is, is not fair. If you're looking at him like, Hey, why do I have to take over someone else's players and, and someone else's staff in the middle of the season and, and be, and be judged based on that. That's not, that's really not fair to him, but it's also, he's given an opportunity that other coaches would not have been given with his resume. So I feel that it's kind of an unfair situation he's put in, but he's also given 
you know, technically an unfair opportunity where someone else with his exact resume would not find themselves as the interim head coach and have a chance to prove themselves under fire right now under weird conditions. And so far he's been doing a good job four and one. Now, uh, if he beats Oregon and beats UCLA, I seriously think USC is going to consider him. Um, they might consider him even if he splits the two or plays tight, tight games. Uh, it's just hard to say at this point. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, is it, I think there's a lot of USC fans that don't want him hired under any circumstance. And I think if you're the, one of those USC fans that hopes USC loses games so he doesn't get hired, that's probably not the right way to go. Uh, I would not suggest, <laughs> I wouldn't suggest that. Um, cause he could get, you know, if they lose to Oregon and beat UCLA and still make the Pac-12 championship game, you know, he could still, uh, be named the head coach. And with the, the, the uncertainty in the athletic department right now, it might give him a leg up. Now, if USC, if Pat Hayden, uh, you know, retires and, you know, which would have to happen fairly soon and USC, you know, is getting an athletic director outside, I don't think, uh, Clay Helton would be considered. You want to bring the athletic director, let him bring in a coach. Um, although we've seen USC have, you know, hire a coach and have the athletic director leave right away. It's happened a couple of times over the last 15 years or so. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so is, is it kind of a reach? Yeah, I'm not advocating that Clay Helton should be hired. I think he's doing a, a pretty good job. There's a lot of concerns I have, which if my concerns are real, they're going to rear their ugly head uh, Saturday afternoon in Eugene. But, you know, we'll see. Um, but if he does win out and they win the Pac-12 South, uh, you know, he'd, he'll have won more Pac-12 games than Steve Sarkeesian. Um, yeah, it's I mean, obviously did something he wasn't able to do and win the South. So there's there's something to be said for that. He he would have proven it on the on the field even under weird weird circumstances. Um, all right, let's move on. Let's go to Steve in Portland. I'm going to be in Portland on Friday, flying up there for the game. See, I recently read where G Mart. He's talking about Gerard Martinez mentioned uh, he thought Clay Helton had the inside track on the USC head coaching job if he beats Oregon and UCLA, and maybe even if he only beats one of them because the administration doesn't want to rock the boat. I kind of talked about that a little bit in the last answer. He says, please talk me off the ledge and tell me this is a joke. Nothing against Helton, but if USC passes up on a big-time proven head coach because they don't want to rock the boat, this will go down as one of the most lazy, uninspiring hires in quite some time. USC is a top-five job, and the administration needs to act like they believe, like they believe this as well, uh, rather than accepting mediocrity. Thanks and fight on, Stephen Portland. Yeah, so I, I don't think the Helton supporters, and there's a lot of them out there right now, the players, of course, but I, I don't buy into the whole, if a player supports someone, plenty of players have supported head coaches that were getting fired and terrible, but the players loved them. And, you know, that 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 happens. So I don't put a whole lot of stock into the players love them. That's good. I mean, if the players hated them, that would be bad. But it's not just because the players love them, that does not a reason to hire them. Um, I, I don't know if it would be lazy. I think there's a whole lot of factors in place. One or in play here. One, uh, they screwed up by not, in my opinion, and I think they probably think this now, at least keeping Ed Orgeron on for another year or two, just to have some stability in the program. To have that many different head coaches in, you know, three in one year, um, because they didn't hire him and the fans wanted him and all that stuff. Not that that's another reason to hire him, but, would you think USC football would be better off today? Uh, how many games was it? 23 games or 24 games after, uh, Ed Orgeron left because he wasn't retained as the, wasn't going to be retained as the head coach. I think USC would have had a better record over those 24 games had Ed Orgeron, uh, stuck around. And I don't think you'd be in the situation right now where you have another interim head coach. And if he did great, then they could have kept him on. And if not, they might. You know, search for a head coach at the end of the year and say, thanks, Ed. We're going to, you know, take it a different direction. You, you, you helped us through the end of the sanctions and blah, blah, blah. I think they would have been better off. Um, so I think there's some aspect of they don't want to make the same mistake twice. Uh, he's more, you know, Helton is more like he's, he's more refined, I guess you could say, than Ed Orgeron. So I think, um, you know, the, the current administration, uh, likes that. I think he can be, I think he's like a safe choice. I think he would be where these guys might be gun shy of making another mistake. I mean, the, the, the Andy Edfield thing kind of blew up in their face. We'll see what happens this year for the basketball team. They're off to a good start, 2-0, and um, and beat a team that, you know, beat UCLA. But, you know, we'll see. They only won two Pac-12 
conference games the last two years. They have to do a lot better when the conference season rolls around. And of course, you know, having Steve Sarkisian come in and only lasting 18 games, that was a disaster. So there's been a lot of bad decisions. So I think they're going to wait and see. Uh, we're hearing much less this year than we did two years ago as far as the coaching search goes. I think they have, and, and we don't even know what's going on. You know, we, there was rumors that Pat Hayden was going to step down. What's going on? Um, you know, and he, he's still there. I actually saw Pat Hayden today in Heritage Hall. And people said he wasn't looking that good. I mean, he looked fine to me. Um, so I, you know, I, my gut is he wants to see this through. And my gut is it goes along with what Gerard said. If, if Helton has a good showing, he might be a safer choice and less people will come down on him. Now, some people will come down on him for hiring Clay Helton, no matter what Clay Helton does, because they want to get a big name coach. And you know, I completely understand that point of view too. It's probably, you know, Unless you, there's some insight that you feel like this is the guy, but you felt, you know, Steve Sarkeesian was the guy. I don't necessarily, I'm not saying that Clay Helton isn't, but I'm not also saying that this is, it's kind of a risky hire, in my opinion, um, for Pat Hayden. And he ha- didn't make a good choice last time. There was like a really buddy, buddy, let's bring Pete Carroll back again, which I, you know, just disagreed with from the very beginning. And so you don't have a lot of trust in what, um, you know, the decision that Pat Hayden made last time and some of the other decisions he's made. So uh, we'll see. I mean, we'll, you know, we, we have to wait and see what happens these next two weeks. That's all important, really, uh, in my opinion, Steve. So um, until that happens, it's just hard to say. Um, I think if he does split and say he split, like loses to Oregon and beats UCLA, but doesn't make the Pac-12 championship game, well, he beat UCLA and, you know, USC hadn't beat him for three years. There could be some justification there. I think that's what would drive fans the most crazy. If he wins out, beats Oregon on the road, beats UCLA, finishes with a six-game winning streak and wins the Pac-12 South, that's something you can, that's a feather in his cap for sure. USC hadn't won the, you know, and if he goes on to win the conference, I mean, heck, I mean, that's, that, that's, you know, it goes to the Rose Bowl. There's a lot of, the, all the Hilton supporters will have a lot of ammunition. But if he kind of splits and they make a weirder bowl and it just, it was just kind of like, yeah, they well, they they beat Oregon or they beat UCLA or they played both of them close or whatever. Yeah, it's going to be – that'll be a much tougher sell in my opinion. And then they kind of have to look outside. And it might be a little bit of both too where, hey, Helton's a, a good candidate. He won. He won out. He's a good candidate. And, boom, we got two or three home run guys that we're talking to. And if they don't fall through, he's higher on the list as opposed to maybe getting a younger guy like a Tom Herman from Houston or something like that. Um, so yeah, there's, I think there's a lot of different things in play. You have to be patient and kind of wait for this to come out. There's, I don't think there's a lot of decisions being made right now. They're more in a wait and see attitude from everything I've, I've heard and been told. Okay. Let's move on to David. He said in Tuesday night's article on scout, Dan Weber quoted Clay Helton saying, our MO is to shut down the run and put it on the quarterback to win the passing game in reference to the looming matchup with Oregon. Do you think this, along with all the other media coverage, exposes exposes too much of the game plan? I would agree that uh, shutting down the run is a likely strategy to begin with, but to announce to the world your defense is committed to almost exclusively stopping the run seems like a huge advantage for Oregon going into the game on Saturday. Thoughts? Thanks and fight on from David. Yeah, David. No, I, I mean, you, you, I mean, if you asked me, what do you got to do? I, I said this on the radio today. I was on a radio show up in Portland, and. You know, same kind of thing. It's like Oregon ran the ball 75% of the time against Stanford. You have to make them be a passing team. You have to t- shut the run down. Um, the fact that Vernon Adams didn't throw a pass in the first quarter, I mean, that's something. You know, you have to be able to make him be a pocket passer if you possibly can. So, I, I mean, me being a guy just, you know, following the team and watching practice or whatever, that's what I would say in watching games. So I, I don't think you're giving away some kind of trade secrets. And half the time, a coach will say something and they go out and do something else. Uh, it's not always, you know, well, they're taking notes on this. Now, Oregon shuts down their program. They don't let anyone see anything. You know, and I don't I don't necessarily get that as much. I, I think a bunch of teams do that. But, like, with Pete Carroll, his, his be- best line when he let the, I think it was the Oklahoma media before the Orange Bowl, come in and watch practice and people are like, don't you think that's a disadvantage? He's like, no, they don't even know what they're seeing. And I think a lot of that is true. Um, and we watch, you know, and we watch practice sometimes. We're like, man, they look good. Like this, they're running all over the place. And then they play Saturday and they look like crap. Or 
man, practice was really kind of sluggish. No one really seemed to, nothing was sharp, nothing was going on, and then they go play really well. So, I mean, even if you had a, you know, you were filming what they were doing, as maybe you're looking at some, you know, trick play or something, but just trying to figure out what the strategy is. No, I don't. I don't think there's a whole lot that can be gained from that, David. So I don't. I don't think there's some kind of big disadvantage uh, from talking about what you worked out of practice. I mean, today they said the same thing last Wednesday. We worked on third down. We worked on turnovers. We worked on uh, pass rush. It's like, okay, yeah. So you you didn't think third downs were ever going to come into play, but, but now Clay Helton said they were working on it. He's like, oh, we better watch out for third downs. Or, hey, they're going to rush the passer. Um, yeah, so no, I don't think that's a big deal. All right, let's go. Next up it says, greetings. This is Jeremiah Jones from San Diego, California. San Diego. Beautiful place. My question is for Ryan. I missed the game on Friday. I was wondering what point did, of the game did we lose our injured players respectively, and did the replacements perform well enough to think that we could beat Oregon on the road? Well, we found out today that Vianney Talameavo uh, hurt his knee. He, he partially tore his meniscus on the fourth play of the game, played the rest of the game, or the majority of the rest of the game. He had 50 cc's of uh, fluid drained out of it. Doesn't seem like he's going to play. He hasn't practiced yet. Um, so that'll probably be Chris Brown playing at right, uh, right guard for him. Uh, the linebackers, I forget the exact point where, where they went down. Um, but we saw Cameron Smith out there today. Um, uh, didn't see Lamar Dawson. So Cameron Smith was just in street clothes at practice. Didn't see Lamar Dawson. Uh, he has a shoulder. So his career is done at USC. Uh, Cameron Smith will obviously be back, but he's going to have to have knee surgery. Hasn't had it yet. He's walking around. Look fine. So um, they're going to use some kind of rotation at the inside linebacker spots. They got the Mike, which is middle, and they got the Will, which is the weak side. But they're really just two inside linebackers, and you kind of swap them. The positions are very similar, and you can play. Usually you guys have to know both. So Anthony Sorrow was a starter. He'll still be in there. Um, the problem is that both Smith and Dawson were, were getting a lot of playing time, sometimes playing together, even though they played the same position. They, they're both inside linebackers. They could both go out there at the same time. So Michael Hutchins will, will get some playing time. He's like a coach out there and a, a really smart kid. Um, you'll see uh, Uchenu Nwusu, who moved but really more of an outside guy who's backing up like Sua Cravens. He's going to play more inside now. Uh, you see Osa Messina, um, who's really athletic but hasn't played on the defensive side of the ball, played special teams, but haven't. I think he really needs to learn that linebacker position a little bit more, but he's going to, I think they'll have him under fire a little bit playing one of these inside spots. And Elijah Tucker, Buddha Tucker from Sarah High School, Got to talk to him a little bit today. And uh, so it's probably those five guys, I would guess, in some sort of rotation for the two inside linebacker spots. And, yeah, no, I mean, I think they, they've done pretty well. I think the biggest issue is Lamar Dawson was such a good, like, sideline-to-sideline guy, and I think you need someone like that against Oregon. Um, Anthony Sorrow isn't really – he doesn't do that as well. That's just not his strength. So I think you're going to see – I think you'll see Messina a little bit more because he can he's he can get after it, and I think you're going to have to be flying after the football. They use the entire field. Oregon's going to spread you out. Uh, they had 48 or 49 offensive plays against Stanford and used like 23 or I think 23 different formations. So they're going to try to confuse you. Um, it might be a tough spot for a young linebacker like that for Osa Messina, but his speed and his ability, athleticism to get to the sideline, they might need that. So we'll see. Let's go to Curtis. He says, as a 250-pound freshman, Soma was faster than all the USC backs, including Buck Allen. If you want to run 50 times, punish opposition with Vanuku, you need to punish opposition with Vanuku and other backs. Just like Stanford, we have more overall talent. This question is for you, Mr. Abraham. Run all the backs just like what Coach O did when he was here. Curtis, fight on. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of people have talked about so Vanuku and the role he can play, he's an absolute beast on special teams. If you want to watch like kickoff coverage and stuff, when he goes down, he blows blockers up. He makes tackles, forces fumbles. He's been great. I, you, it kind of makes you wonder, should he have been playing linebacker this whole time? They don't use, they got two fullbacks. They're both seniors. They don't use them hardly at all. Uh, we saw Soma Vanuku get a, a short yardage touchdown run. We saw Jaleel Pinner catch a, uh, red zone touchdown pass. Um, but no, do they get a lot of carries? No. Um, they don't. And, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's, it'd be nice to, to get them in the, the mix more, but that's just not what this team's MO is. And 
I don't know. We weren't sure what the future of the fullback position was going to be with, with Steve Sarkeesian because they didn't recruit anymore. And those two guys are seniors. Um, going forward, you just don't know. Uh, I hope, you know, whatever, whoever comes in, if it's Clay Helton or whatever, if you're trying to use like a, a fullback type, you know, I formation offense, you don't really have any fullbacks now. So you'd have to convert some guys or try to recruit some guys or pick up some walk ons, uh, whatever you got to do. Uh, but USC is not going to have any more fullbacks. Um, I, I mean, I love, so I mean, I think the, the running backs they have now are fine. Um, you know, re, uh, Ronald Jones is really good. I don't necessarily think you should have some of Anuku back there trying to get 10, 15 carries, but I would like to see a lead blocker more. Um, and you know, a, a two back set more if you're going to be dedicated to the run. So yeah. So I mean, there, there's a lot of some of Anuku love out there. I got some guy on Facebook that constantly tags me and things and posts like some of Anuku watch and what he should be doing. Like, he's only got a few games left of his USC career. I think he could actually make an NFL uh, roster just because he can do a lot of different things. And maybe, who knows, maybe he, he goes to the NFL and he's a special teams demon and he plays fullback. And uh, not a lot of teams are using him, but, you know, there's some to do. And there's been plenty of USC guys that haven't done a whole lot at USC that look like they were underutilized. And then they go to the NFL and are kicking butt. So some of Manuka could be one of those. We'll watch for that. Robin in Virginia. He says, thanks for the podcast. And the Periscope chat on Twitter. Um, yeah, so if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Inside Troy, and we've been doing Periscopes every once in a while, a couple times a week. I did one today with uh, our intern, Keely Ewer, and uh, it's basically like a live video feed where we stand there, we put microphones on, talking into the camera, and then you guys can watch it live, or you can, over the next 24 hours, you can watch the replay. And then people, everyone watching, they can type in their questions for us. So we've been doing them like game time. Um, I did a halftime one for the Colorado game, probably do like a pregame one at Oregon and then also a postgame one. So that'll, that, you know, check those out that we do those, but thanks, uh, Robin for pointing those out. He said, as previously mentioned by you and others, we sleepwalk through the first half, a lot of games, we, re- we reset every week and we don't learn from the previous games, many mistakes, and it takes a whole half of football to readjust. Also, why does our defense seem to get burned right after they make a big play? Thanks for your dedication and fight on. Robin from Virginia. Yeah, no, USC had a slow start. Not a slow start against uh, Utah, but really the last few weeks uh, under Clay Helton, they've had to have, you know, comebacks. And, and the, you know, the first time against Arizona that USC had come back in five years, I believe it was, uh, heading into the fourth quarter, down. So, Leading, you know, heading into the fourth quarter, USC was not leading. Uh, Arizona was. And USC came back and won. That was the first time since I believe it was 2009 or 2010. And then into the Colorado game, the first time USC had a double digit halftime deficit, they've come back from since 2005, you know, Pete Carroll era. So, I, I mean, that's nice that they've been able to come back, but I think your, your, your goose is cooked. Uh, no pun intended playing the Ducks. Um, if you go, if you start off that way against Oregon and now USC has been playing up to their competition, so that might not be an issue, but yeah, if, if USC starts off slow, like the things I kind of talked about at the beginning, that some of the concerns I have, um, you're done against Oregon because they're going to run. All, that's a team that when they get the lead, they run their entire offense and they can run and run and they don't even have to throw the football and you're just going to get behind and get buried. And this USC offense has not been as sharp even though the Oregon defense isn't very good, it's not been great, you know. And, uh, you know, they've had some comebacks, but a lot of those comebacks are stirred by turnovers, and then you're relying on the defense or special teams making a big play. USC special teams has been pretty bad, although they did have a, a field goal block. For the most part, uh, most plays have been negative towards USC as far as special teams go. But that was a big uh, field goal block, I should say. I think I said punt. Um, and you rely on that. And I just don't think you're going to be able to rely on that playing in Austin Stadium. So USC has to come out and play well uh, on both sides of the ball. And w- what happened the last time USC went up there and won under Lane Kiffin was they got that early lead. Now they, they had to hold on by their chinny-chin-chins to, to, to you know finish that one out. They didn't finish very strong, but they started off with the lead and they limited what Oregon could do offensively. You get behind and now you're going to see a lot of seven, eight-yard runs on first down, Second and two, a lot of things they can do. So, yeah, that that's a real problem. All right, Bill 
Marin said, last week, Dan mentioned that Jack Rio would have taken the USC job when last available, but it went to Sarkeesian. Actually, that's not true. Dan did not say that. That was, uh, I had um, uh, Ricky Ellison, or it used to be Ricky Gray when he played at USC, but Ricky Ellison on the podcast, and he said he had talked to his buddy, who he put, you know, Jack Del Rio, and, and Jack said he would have taken the job. So that, that wasn't from Dan. That was from our guest uh, that I had on a couple weeks ago, Ricky Ellison. Said, did Jack make it known to Pat Hayden that he was very interested in the USC head coaching job? If it would not be fair to Pat if he did not personally know that Jack Del Rio was interested. As the story goes, Pete was on campus and went to see Mike Garrett to let him know that he wanted the USC job. That is such a great story from Bill. Um, yeah, Bill, no, I don't know exactly what uh, Pat Hayden knew uh, as far as Jack Del Rio winning the job. Um, he's doing a you know great job there at, at Oakland right now, of course. So, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I just don't know exactly. But I, honestly, if he knew or not, they were pretty much dead set on bringing in Steve Sarkeesian. So that I just don't feel that anyone else that was, you know, I mean, looked at like a Chris Peterson or a little bit of Kevin Sublin, I think they had their mind made up. That's the, that's my feeling on what was going on there. So it wasn't, it was, it was kind of like you're going to, well, Lane Kiffin didn't work out because his gruff personality Steve Sarkeesian is like Lane Kiffin with a better personality. And so they wanted to try to do that. And obviously that did not work out. All right. Uh, Abe wrote in. He says, it was truly a mind boggling. Oh, sorry. It was truly mind boggling to hear Ricky Ellison blasting Pat Hayden recently. So this is the, the last, what we were talking about, the last uh, email. It's really a great question asking how the athletic director could do a good job with his hands on so many cookie jars, so to speak. Just as important if not more so, is the question of Pat Hayden choosing coaches on quote-unquote gut instinct, not history of past performance. That alone is very troubling in regards to Pat's judgment. Uh, Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian, and Andy Enfield last two years, for example. Uh, If all that went on is valid, then the athletic department assistants Jackson and Lopes, let's talk about Mark Jackson and Steve Lopes, as well as Pat Hayden should all be disqualified from choosing the next football coach. Enfield's current year as basketball coach remains to be played out. Continuing with football, a few more passes to those tall tight ends wouldn't hurt, and especially the mediocre kicking game has to improve. We have no more uh, block punts now, but kicking the ball out of bounds on the kickoff and then kicking a short punt on fourth down in the last quarter of the Colorado game shows a real problem that needs to be fixed. Bad field position made the game uh, alone closer than necessary. Sincerely, Abe. Uh, So, Abe, yeah, okay, so I guess two different points here. Yeah, no, I, we kind of talk about this, but I do feel that, you know, uh, I know Mark Jackson was very close to Lane Kiffin. He went with Lane Kiffin to uh, Oakland when Lane Kiffin left USC. He was really a part of that whole Pete Carroll thing and was integral in, in bringing Steve Sarkeesian to USC. He's now gone, so he's not going to be part of the next decision. He's the athletic director at Villanova. Um, so he, he's, he's working at Villanova now. Uh, Steve Lopes is still around. We've seen him. And I think he's, you know, one of the core guys that, you know, going to be part of this. And a lot of people have talked about Steve Lopes being, uh, maybe the next athletic director, maybe the interim, uh, if, if Pat Hayden steps down. So there's a lot of kind of talk about that. But yeah, you, I mean, you're right. As far as the judgment goes, um, I, I don't mind guys with kind of a gut instinct thing. I think past performance has to come into it. And Steve Sarkeesian showed some good things at Washington. But, you know, what I always come back to is USC is a top, five job top three as far as college football goes who else was trying to you know hire steve sarkeesian really no one i mean I, no one that i heard of when they were looking for coaches were like hey you bring in steve sarkeesian now maybe and i've made jokes like would purdue have hired him no i said this on one of the other podcasts now i mean if purdue had a, purdue had an opening and they thought he would come i mean i that's probably a possibility but there's really no one else that we had heard of that wanted him except USC. Even Washington didn't necessarily want him. He was potentially on the hot seat if he lost to Washington State. So there's a, you know, certainly I, I think it was a reach like we talked about at the beginning of the show. I think it was really bringing in the guy that you know and you feel like, yeah, he's going to bring us back. And obviously that was, was very wrong. Uh, I mean, I, I, Pat Hayden's a, you know, he's a great guy. He's, you know, going through some health health, health issues right now. And he's a Trojan legend. He's done so many good things. He's like so smart in life and just been successful in business and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, 
you have to just because he's done all that doesn't mean you have to just agree with every decision he's made. And I've really disagreed with most of his big ones, if not all of them, at USC involving football and basketball. And you talk to some alumni, they're upset that he didn't fight the NCAA. And, you know, I, I agree 100%. USC was the only school that didn't try to push back. They went through the regular channels and try to be the nice guys. And they're the only school that's been getting hammered in Penn State. You know, everything was removed, all that Miami stuff. They're not getting hit hard. So USC was that one school that did. And I think hindsight, you know, if he looked back and said, yeah, we, we should have fought back and, and not, and not acted the way we did. But you know, that we were saying, it's not like we're saying it in hindsight. We were saying it from day one. And, uh, you know, they just didn't see it. I don't think they quite understood the kind of rail job, you know, rail, getting railroaded the NCAA was doing. And we knew all the Todd McNair stuff. So that's why, you know, like, Hey, this is really not, this isn't like USC is like cheating and they deserve all this punishment. Um, so yeah, that's, a, I think it was a real, there's a lot of decisions he made, Abe. They're concerning. Uh, as far as football, yeah, we talked about the special teams play. I'm not into like, it's, you kind of look at special teams and they'll get a big play. Maybe it's in a Dory Jackson return, which you haven't seen a lot of those lately or blocking, uh, the field goal, which was huge. Um, you know, blocking a punt, things like that. But those are like those rare, big money plays, home run plays. The problem I have is giving up home run plays, which they did. Uh, you know, Nelson Spruce returning, you know, short, terrible punt, big return. We saw the same thing. I think it was against, uh, Utah. Um, it's me more about the, 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 uh, lunch pail plays. So those every play, every punt, you know, you're punting from your 20, flip the field. You're putting from inside your 20. Get it outside, at least past midfield. Those things aren't happening. Um, they're pretty good at, at, at pinning players in. Uh, I think they're good at, uh, kickoff recovery, kickoff, um, coverage, but they've been a little, it's been a little shaky the last couple of weeks, but that's one thing they actually have been doing well. But just the daily kind of, you know, these are the normal plays. You, you're so much field position at stake. You have to be able to execute and they have not. They'll get some big plays every once in a while. They'll give up more big plays, but really just those typical, hey, we want to net 46 yards on this punt, and you can't, and you net 35, and it's just, that's a first down, you know, that you're you're just giving the other team, and you just can't keep doing that, and they've been doing that. Uh, let's see. I think, well, let's go to a voicemail. We haven't had one of those for a little bit. Here we go. Good morning, Ryan, Coach Hyde, Dan. This is it, Duncan up in the high desert. Now I want to congratulate our fellas for our win last night and last week. Um, I enjoyed the game, but I'm still quite concerned about the things I see going on at USC. I believe that the coaching staff is doing the best they can, but at this particular stage in USC's history, they need a superstar coach. I tell you, this is just my opinion. There's a great one in our conference. I don't know what the rules and regulations are, but there's a coach up there at Washington State. If he had USC with all that talent, man, USC would score 50, 60, 70 points a game, and we need a superstar coach. No uh, black mark against the coaching staff that we have right now, but we need a superstar coaching staff. Hey, that's just my belief. And fight on, Trojans. I hope we win the next two games. And uh, fight on, guys. Well, thanks for that question, Ed. And, uh, you know, just in the beginning, he, he kind of addresses everyone. Just so you know, like, we have separate shows now. So <laughs> everyone's not on the same show. So one of the things when you send your questions in, try to be specific. I just I took this one myself because we had a bunch of other ones for Coach Harvey Hyde and Dan. Um, so... We're not on the same show at the same time, so please be specific when you uh, send in your questions. Um, yeah, no, I think you're not alone. There's a lot of people that feel that they should bring in a big-name superstar coach, and I, I tend to, to, to lean that way as well. I'm going to be wait and see and see what happens and kind of make a decision after that, but that, that's, that's more of my gut instinct. As far as Mike Leach goes, I don't think that's a very good idea at all. Um, you know, he's... But he's a, such a weird guy. And I, I mean, I, I love, you know, press conferences and everything that he does. Now, you know, that it's a team that's, uh, you know, it's, I, I don't think the, the, the alumni and fans would really love to see, um, a team throw for 490 yards and rush for 
15, but that's that's kind of what Washington State does a lot of the times this year and play pretty bad defense a lot of a lot of other times. Now, you don't know. We haven't seen him in a big market team. We've seen him have, you know, huge success at Texas Tech and beat the the big market teams and we've seen him come now in at Washington State even after losing to Portland State to start the season and beat some of the big market teams and we have them in our podcast of champions that we have Washington State the number one uh you know power team in the Pac-12 right now we'll see if that that holds up um but that's not <laughs> I, I just don't know if his if if all of that would work at USC uh, I don't think you would be able to sell like, well, he did he had a good run in the Pac-12 North, but he lost to Portland State in the beginning of the year. Um, yeah, stuff like that would be a tough sell. I just don't think that's really what he's all about, moving to L.A. I think he likes being in the kind of more remote areas. Our, our buddy Bruce Feldman knows him really well, wrote the, the Swing Your Sword book uh, with Mike. And I, I just my gut feeling from talking to them, it just doesn't seem like that would be uh, something he would want to do, something that USC would want to do. I don't think the fans would like it. There are a few people like yourself that have brought that up, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see that one. All right. Jarrett wrote in, how much money can the university spend on a potential big name coach? Is it far fetched to have the highest paid coach in college football? In fact, is that what it might take to get a premier coach? I mean, that's a really good question. It's a private school. So you don't really know everything that's going on, but I think, you know, they, they end up getting a guy, Steve Sarkeesian, who you didn't have to pay four or five million a year too. I think they were, you know, two and a half or something like that. And then, you know, I think they pay their staff really well. But if you're talking about, hey, let's get John Harbaugh from the NFL. Now you're like, well, we got to be an SEC country. You have to be talking about five, six, seven million dollars a year. And is USC willing to do that? Um, we I don't know right now. We just don't, there's so much uncertainty in the athletic administration that, you know, Hey, what, what's going on now? USC could have saved a lot of money, probably like $8 million as Dan Weber said, by just keeping Ed Orgeron a couple years ago and then having, uh, you know, a big search, you know, in a year or two, if, if things weren't working out, just as kind of a, a stopgap sort of thing, they would have probably save about 8 million bucks. Um, they're paying multiple coaches. We don't know exactly what they have to pay Steve Sarkeesian, if anything, um, for, you know, for what he's doing. They're probably going to have to, if they get rid of a bunch of assistants, they're probably going to have to pay some of their salaries. So we're not really sure. I'm, I kind of get the feeling that they'll pay if they have to. Um, but it's really going to come down to, you know, Pat Hayden or whoever, uh, Max Nikias, the president, and see what's going on there. Yeah. It's, it's not like it's a school that doesn't have resources. But what are they willing to spend? You can get Clay Helton pretty darn cheap. You know, you got Steve Sarkeesian, honestly, pretty darn cheap, but he only stuck around for 18 games. So it ends up costing you a lot more. Um, and like I said, you had to pay buyouts and things like that. So yeah, that's a, it's a great question. We just don't, we really don't know at this point, but I think to get one of those A list, especially if Clay Helton wins out and you want to hire someone else above him, you're getting someone like a John Harbaugh or whatever, if he wants to come back to, co- you know, come to college and, and do that, you're paying him a lot of money. Um, and so you're going to have to will, really open up the checkbook and go from there. We got a couple more. Earl in West LA. Congratulations on going four and two against the spread. So he was talking about my Pac 12 picks for our podcast of champions. If you haven't listened to that podcast, go to pac12podcast.com or just search for podcast of champions. Me and Dave Woods, who, uh, he's a writer for the UCLA scout site. So we kind of join forces and we talk about the Pac 12 every week. It's a lot of fun. So Podcast of Champions, you can check that one out. We do usually two episodes a week. But we pick games against the spread, and both Dave and I went four and two last week. He said, now the loser, uh, now the losers know who to blame. Okay, so they're blaming me for the picks. Stanford should have won, but Kevin Hogan's two fumbles against a good team pretty much eliminates them from playoff contention. I agree with that 100%. Arizona seemed to cast a spell over Utah when they traveled to Tucson. The Utes take out Solomon in the first half, leaving the Cats with a backup quarterback who can't pass worth a lick, only to lose the game in overtime on a perfect pass from said QB. Go figure. Yeah, I was talking about Jared Randall. Like, he came in, was one for five, so he missed his first four passes, but in, I think it was double overtime, throws the game-winning uh, touchdown. So, yeah, that was fun. Luke Falk is my new hero. That's the Washington State quarterback. What a stud, and he's a former walk-on, by the way. He took a hit after hit and just kept doing what he does. 
I don't remember Washington State running the ball in the second half at all. Never seen anything like this before. I must give UCLA some credit as they as they have perfected the, the false start into an art form. Yeah, so we talk about the UCLA game. Uh, a lot of penalties in that game. I think 13 against UCLA and 9 against uh, Washington State. And Washington State didn't run the ball a whole lot, but Luke Falk threw it all over the field, went out and looked like he was looked like he was seriously concussed, concussed to be honest. But then he came back and uh, came in and, and really led them through the second half. And he says, looks like the South is headed for another crazy finish. Who do you think will emerge as a team playing in the championship game? Earl in West L.A. I mean, it's good. It's a good question. I just, it's just so hard to tell. I think USC is probably the favorite right now. Um, but it's going to come down to the USC-UCLA game. Or, I mean, Utah still has a shot. Those are the three teams still in it. Uh, if UCLA beats Utah, I, I kind of give them the edge. Like, they, they beat USC the last three years, so we'll have to kind of wait and see what happens there. But, you know, USC is probably more of the favorite right now. But because of the, the, you know, both teams have to play a tough, tough stretch. Uh, UCLA has to play at Utah. USC has to play at Oregon. And then the two teams play each other in the Coliseum. So they have their work cut out for them. Um, but I kind of think it'll be one of those two teams and it'll just come down to the USC UCLA game. But we'll see. USC's played lower competition after beating Utah the last few weeks. We'll see what they're able to do up in Eugene. If they get kind of blown out, yeah, I don't really like their chances. So, all right, Earl, thanks for that. We'll see. We'll see what happens. It's going to be a really interesting last couple of weeks. And then our last question from Bill. Uh, I very much enjoy listening to your coverage of the USC Trojans. You guys do a great job. I know I should be grateful that USC won, especially since several teams have had scares from Colorado and they did play in the cold and altitude. But how does the Colorado team, uh, who play the last three quarters with a backup freshman quarterback, take USC to the wire. Will USC be able to do as much against Alabama next year with their current backup quarterback, Max Brown? All right, so yeah, Colorado has been tougher in some games. They played uh, UCLA. They were beating UCLA late in that game, and UCLA came back and won. Of course, they were beating USC. USC came back and won. I think they're better than their record indicates. Uh, I thought they were going to give Stanford a better game, and there were some kind of 50-50 plays and some really – obscure plays early on in that game where Stanford had was driving, had a third and 18 and ended up throwing a touchdown pass. So normally you're punting in that situation and Colorado gets the ball back and Kevin Hogan throws a perfect dime down the left sideline, uh, touchdown Stanford on third and 18. How often does that happen? Is that like a 5%, 10% chance of something like that happening? But those kind of plays just didn't go Colorado's way. And Stanford's a good enough team that they're going to make big plays. Um, and they seem to make them all against Colorado. So I think Colorado could have been in the game with uh, Stanford as well, even though Stanford won, I think it was like 42 to 10. But for USC, yeah, having a, a freshman quarterback come in and, and lead the way and be very efficient. Now, he didn't have a lot of yards per attempt, but he had a high percentage. I think it was 18 of 23. Um, and, I, you know, I think USC needed to do a better job of stopping him. So why, why did it come down to the wire? Yeah, no, I think that's certainly a concern. And it was cold and it was at altitude, but USC obviously didn't play very well. It's nice to get the comeback, but I don't think the offense did a great job. I think really, you know, they had short fields from uh, a special team or defensive play that helped out a lot. And all those are concerns heading up to Oregon. So yeah, that's, that's certainly something that USC fans could be concerned with. We'll see what happens there, but you know, Colorado is a decent team. They're better than their record. We have, you know, we have them as the 11th best team in the Pac-12, according to our Pac-12 podcast of champions power rankings, which we rank these teams every week. Um, we have Colorado 11, but they and Oregon State's 12, they're, they're by far the worst. I think Colorado's a lot better than Oregon State, and I think um, they're, they're, they're right there, but they've been close and they haven't been able to finish. So, yeah. And as far as, will USC be able to do much against Alabama with their current backup quarterback, Max Brown? Well, we don't know. First of all, we don't know who the head coach is going to be. We don't know if it's going to come in and be some kind of running spread where Sam Darnold has a leg up because Max Brown is not as mobile. I mean, there's just so many variables. It's hard to talk about what's going to happen next year against Alabama. I think the concern is that you look at the Colorado game, you want that to be uh, a decisive game where Max Brown can get some meaningful reps. That was the plan coming into the season that Max Brown was going to get meaningful reps to really help next year, starting with Alabama. That hasn't happened. And, uh, 
it's just so we we haven't seen him get the meaningful reps and if he ends up being the starter next year uh you know he'll have some experience but not you know nothing under fire nothing that mattered he'd never played a meaningful snap in college football it's always been mop-up duty and the same thing if it's like a sam darnold or some true freshman that comes in or whatever he ends up starting next year obviously he would never had any kind of live action any action at all so don't expect usc to have uh, an experienced quarterback or any quarterback that's had uh you know seen live fire next year against alabama no matter who it is so yeah i mean you know that's next year how are you going to project what's going on there you don't even know who the head coach is yet so uh yeah i, I wouldn't worry i wouldn't worry about the alabama game quite yet need to worry about who the next coach is going to be so all right well that's going to wrap it up see my voice is about done but i'm glad you guys enjoy these solo podcasts they're they're fun to do and i can just kind of rant on about different topics and you know we love having coach harvey hyde we love having dan getting their expert opinions and 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 you know seeing a different perspective so this gives you just another little different perspective and um, I appreciate everyone sending the questions they're asking for me. Usually just, it's usually for Dan or coach or whatever. Um, but we're getting a whole bunch of questions and they want me to answer. So, um, do my best. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. I get a lot of positive feedback and we enjoy it all. So you can email the podcast, uh, podcast at uscfootball.com. Go to our website, parastylepodcast.com. And of course, I'm the publisher of uscfootball.com. Go check out the message boards there. So thanks so much for tuning in and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.